fear This town ain't small It's a little of both, they say Our ball club may be minor league But at least it's triple A We sit below the Marlboro Man Above the Rockville Wall We do the wave all by ourselves Hey, up a blind man could have made that call We like our beer flat as candy We like our dogs with mustard and relish We got a great picture, what's his name? Well, we Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-hosts and stars of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will, episode 308 now on the network. I want to say thank you to our audience before we bring the guys in here. 50,000-plus subscribers, 74 countries, grassroots MLB front offices. Thanks for your support. Uh, Continue to stream us on your normal streaming devices, but make sure that you guys hit us up on iHeart. We are the newest podcast a network on iHeartRadio, thanks to your support. And make sure, make sure you get these guys five stars, write some nice comments afterwards, because we do battle the analytics of the podcast world just like we do in baseball today. We want to let iHeartRadio know that they made the right selection with Real Voices of the Game, and in particular, a day at the yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. And with that, we got the playoffs under underway. Uh, we got a lot of end-of-the-season statistics to talk about, specifically injury uh, statistics. And uh, with that, I want to bring in our guys, Mark Wiley, Will George. Welcome back to your show. Great to be here, guys. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Dave. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, we'll, we'll get us rolling here. I know we've got some some things we're going to talk about uh, that, that Mark had prepped around awards and lost opportunities, and we're going to get to that. But there's some injury numbers that that you've been on top of all year. And and um, it's, it's starting to affect the gut decisions that managers are making. We saw uh, Jose Barrios, that, that in particular we are talking about. Get into that for us. Enlighten our audience a little bit on what you're seeing in regards to that stuff. Yeah, I think I first started digging in on it early in the season in May sometime. Uh, all the injuries we had early in the season and uh, started looking online to see if I could find out uh, – you know, how many guys were on disabled list and what the injuries were. And I was able to find a, a website called Sport Track. And uh, so I went in and we were in May and the number of days, and this only tracks the players on the 40-man roster. And uh, that's 1,200 players, basically, in baseball. It doesn't track the minor leaguers, which would – would actually double the number of days missed uh, when we add those in or, or even more. But uh, so I looked in May and it was staggering and I sent it out to a few people. And then I started looking every week and we ended the season and 1200 players missed over 44,000 days of service time. And it cost the owners $968 million dollars. Um, and if you go on the website, you can go back all the way to 2015. And every year since 2015, we have increased the number of days missed. In 2015, I believe there were 25,000 missed days. So we now have missed 20,000 more days out of those 1,200 players. And the cost went from 
uh, it doubled, but the minimum also has gone up, which has probably affected that, but still not to the effect that to me, those numbers are staggering. And our biggest job as an organization and as an industry is when we go sign a pitcher or a position player is to prepare them to go out and play, not go on disabled list all year long. And we need to take better care of their health. And what we're doing is not working when you see an eight-year increase from 2015 through 2023, and we've nearly doubled the number of days missed with injuries. That is just not a good thing. And uh, that's just so troubling to me. And I wish that the, the, the people that run the game wake up and try to fix it and keep our players healthier so that the fans can enjoy the Enjoy Mike Trout playing a whole season, not playing 50 games a year. Yeah, I think the accountability question is huge. The, the problem has been identified, and we've been thankful to you for continuing to update us daily. And I've even got it addicted a little bit to that site where I'm, I go in and check, and I'm just amazed that we're close to a billion dollars um, on injured players. The accountability factor, I mean, that's the, I guess that's the uh, million-dollar question. Well, you know, we to me – to me, there's, uh, you know, and there's a lot of new injuries that have occurred that didn't really used to happen. And the protocol, the protocols are different. Um, to me, you know, we're having more injuries. Uh, we're having some serious injuries. You take guys out for a long time. I think if you looked at it as serious injuries versus, you know, what would be like a groin or a hamstring type injury um, or oblique, uh, how many of those have increased uh, to add to the, to the total number of days missed? And also the caution. Hey, we already know there's caution in not letting pitchers go very far into games. Um, whatever that caution is, I don't know why. I don't know what's behind it other than somebody saying that they're not as good through the third time through the lineup. But, um, you know, we're seeing caution everywhere in baseball. Right. And that's adding to some of these numbers, which probably uh, it, it, it bloats it more than it really should. Um, I can, you know, honestly, I've seen injuries that were relatively minor injuries that take much more time on the DL than they ever used to. Right. Now that's, uh, you know, I had this conversation with a couple of veteran scouts back uh, a couple months ago. We were in Tampa, and uh, one of the guys made another point that uh, the M the with the uh, the MRIs have put more guys on DLs with injuries that guys used to just play through because they see something and they go, "Well, the you know the MRI showed a little bit of." Uh, of uh, stretch in there, you know, we're going to have to shut them down. We're going to have to shut them down. And like you just said, Mark, it's always on the side of caution. It's always on the uh, fear of, you know, you know, gosh, we can't let him play. He's going to get hurt. Well, that's part of the game. Let's start letting them play more and getting them healthier so that they can stay on. And like you said, a lot of early season pulled muscles. And quite honestly, the players don't run the way they used to run. 
you know, during batting practice, the position players do not run the bases hard. Um, they don't run the bases hard. And then all of a sudden on a cold night in April, a guy hits a ball in the hole and sniffs a hit and he blows out his hamstring. Now he's gone for six, seven, eight weeks. Um, if you run every day, you're not going to pull hamstrings. Uh, if you, if you don't try to throw every pitch a hundred miles an hour and try to increase your spin rate and crank the hell out of your sweeper, every pitch, your elbow probably stays a lot healthier and your shoulder and all your other tendons in your arm stay healthier. So, you know, it, I, I don't get it. You know, uh, you know, we're, our pitchers aren't throwing enough enough innings in the minor leagues, and we're emphasizing the wrong things. Well, you know, what do we always say, Will? Baseball's not a sprint. That's right. Right? And we're forcing these guys to sprint for pitchers for right. go blow it out for five innings. You know, right. like, this is not what the game was about. No. Um, you know, conserve your energy conserve yeah don't do anything because you don't want to get hurt you know i remember <laughs> i remember reading something in history i wish i had it just came to mind i had this course and i can't remember who the who the general was it was back like napoleon days or maybe before and he was uh he knew that i guess back then they knew there were going to be a battle like within a year they almost knew when the big battle was going to be. And this guy rested up for the battle. He, he laid in bed. He said, I'm going to rest up. So I'll be a hundred percent. And he couldn't walk the day of the, of the battle. You know, this is kind of what happens in baseball when yeah. you don't do the extra running and the extra work. Uh, that's exactly what happens. Right. Is that you get injured, you get injured or you can't compete. How do you and, guys judge uh, us as coaches and scouts now? You got all these arbitrary, you have arbitrary numbers in some cases dictating how long pitchers pitch, how much they throw, what they lift, when they get to take days off, position players too. And then you have people that have never played, never coached, kind of puppeteering decision-making. And then you put managers in charge of, I guess, making the decision in the game. How is that possible? No, I, I, it's, you know, to me, none of it makes sense. <laughs> you know, and our show is called common sense, pitching, common sense, baseball. Um, let the people that know how to teach, teach, know how to develop, develop, you know, Mark, you've said it a million times on here, you know, and we've gone away from it as an industry. Um, the best prospects, when they signed, they started. Why did they start? Because that was the premium thing to do. And we wanted to find out if they were going to be able to give us a lot of quality innings as quality pitchers because they were good prospects. And those that couldn't start ended up in the bullpen. Now, we never stretch anybody out to give them the innings to learn how to pitch. You know, like I'm out in the Arizona Fall League now and everybody's thrown 90 innings or 70 innings or 40 innings. You know, the starters have only thrown 90 innings for the year. And they've been on, you know, developmental lists where they give them little vacations in the middle of the season now. It's, it, it, it's so ridiculous 
You know, like I haven't seen any starter that's thrown like 150 to 200 innings. I mean, which used to be very commonplace. And I've well, seen prospects. <laughs> well, you, you hit it on the head. I guess we've never really stopped, uh, no, you know, commented about it. We've mentioned it briefly, just like you did. You know, when we're in the minor leagues and you're a coach in the minor leagues or a manager in the minor leagues and you have players and uh, you get players from the draft and, you know, sometimes out of the draft, you know, scouting directors, the scouts that signed him, they kind of think he's going to be something. He's going to be a reliever or he's going to be a starter. And once we get him in the development system, and we start working with them and we start talking to them. We watch their, we see their intelligence. We see their durability. We see their pitch mix or possible pitch mix. We see all, we make evaluations. Now, usually when you get a guy out of the draft, you kind of keep him in his same role for a while just to get him comfortable. But often you'll take a reliever that you go, gee, this guy's got three pitches. He's got good command, got a great delivery. He seems to be really durable and he's strong as a bull. I wonder why we don't start him. So we'll have a discussion and everybody will jump on board. And once you get enough people that feel uh, that are making the decisions that this guy could start, you give the guy an opportunity to start and you build him up and show him how to start. Some of those guys actually turn into major league starters. Yeah. On the other end of the spectrum, you'll have guys that everybody has pigeonholed when he signs that he's going to be a starter. But after the player development people work with the guy and they see his mentality, uh, his intelligence, uh, his reasoning power, uh, his ability to adjust, uh, uh, ability to have feel to pitch, sometimes it doesn't make sense to keep that guy starting. Because you, if you have enough experienced developers, after a period of time, you could tell the guy's not going to be a starter. You just know it, not in professional baseball with what the grind is. Today, it's hard to even find out. Like Will said, they don't go far enough. You, you've got to make those evaluations. And often, those guys get drawn out longer in the wrong role because they're not given enough opportunities to figure out whether that's the right role to begin with. Well, that's, uh, you know, the guy that comes to mind right away and he was in a system that was loaded with starting pitching, but uh, Seth Lugo finally got to start this year. And I've covered him for years, and I would watch this guy who was like 94 to 98. He had a plus curveball, plus slider, a cutter, and a changeup. And he's pitching out of the bullpen. And he's got a big, strong body. He's got a clean delivery. And he always wanted to start, but he had DeGrom and Harvey and Wheeler and Mats and other starters in New York. So he gets pushed into the bullpen and never got an opportunity to start till this year with San Diego. And he went out and had a pretty good year as a starter. But he always had starter stuff, and he had a big, physical, strong body that you go, you know, this guy should be able to start and give you 150 to 200 innings as opposed to being a middle reliever that gives you – you know, 65 appearances just in the middle of the game. You know, I, you know, um, it's just, 
it's the change in mentality and and people that don't want to take the guy out of the where he's been pigeonholed um, for whatever reason it is. Um, hey, there can be good reasons. Yeah. Um, but when an open, you got it. But you got to say, you know, down the road though, when we get an opportunity, we've got to start lengthening him out because we're going to put him in that fifth spot or whatever. You know, right. you got to. You think ahead of times. We often used to talk about that, even in spring training. We said, "Okay, this kid's going to make the team. Um, we'll put him in and get him settled in the big leagues. Uh, he'll pitch out of the pen. He'll pitch kind of in the middle. Um, but if that fifth starter starts to fail, we'll try to choreograph as much as we can to have him piggyback, and we'll try to build his innings up, and he'll take that spot. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen." But you got to have that in your mind way early before the season even starts that this is kind of what you're going to do. So everybody's on the same page. Well, you know, but you, if know, you, you discuss it right in the middle. Somebody goes, well, he's doing too good a job in that role right now. No, if you talked about it, you, you got more chance to do it. Well, that's, you know, for, from the outside looking in and I don't, don't work for the Mets, but. You know, I get it when you had Harvey and Syndergaard and DeGrom and Mats and uh, 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 Wheeler. Yeah, there's no there's no room at the end. But when there's injuries or uh, Harvey moves on or whatever, uh, you trade Mats because the people now value bullpens over starters nobody ever goes gosh he's really good there but he's got the stuff to be really good as a starter too and and again i always ask you know do you want a starting rotation as a manager and i think me all three of us would answer that you know you're going to get six or seven innings every night versus you know a few guys in the bullpen that you can rely on I, I, to me, I'll take the innings because it is a long game every night. It's a nine inning game. Well, I'll guarantee you, and I haven't done the study, but if you look at the teams that have had the least amount of starters and those starters carried the load most of the season, or at least four of them or whatever, yeah, you're going to find the clubs that, that show up at the end of the year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just, you know, that's just the way it works, you know? No, oh, Exactly. Is there anybody um, bucking the system now and, and going, you know, where this pendulum may be swinging back a little bit? Well, you know, I haven't followed each individual team game by game. Um, I think the more veteran managers tend to uh, use their gut, like Will says, and, and let guys run out deeper into games. Um, uh, you know, I will say this, and and this is from experience of being a pitching coach and a pitching coach in, in playoffs. Um, I get when you're in the middle of the playoffs, if you pull a guy and you have, it looks like there's no reason for pulling him and you can't give the real reason after the game because you got more playoff games to go. Right. Uh, you're also dealing with that player. Um, you don't want him to look bad. You know, you don't, you got more, you know, there's more games to play, so you can't really go out there and let everybody know what's going on. But when when you pull a guy early, what appears to be early in a game, in a playoff game, and the playoffs are over, um, you should give some of your reasoning. 
And if you can't give any reasoning, then it, to me, it makes you look worse. It makes you look worse that, oh, I didn't know that the bullpen had two guys with bad fingers. I didn't know all that. The guy says, listen, we were real thin in the bullpen because we had some issues with our bullpen guys. That's, that's why I left him in. Or, you know, our bullpen was really strong and this guy's been fighting this blister and we didn't want to say anything about it. So I got him out early. Um, but, you know, information isn't to everybody when you're in the heat of the battle, but when it's over, um, you should be able to answer honestly. So what about but, Toronto with Barrios or Barrios? Um, I didn't hear the comments after the game with that, but um, I, I, I believe I read it was predetermined that he was only going to throw three innings. Which yeah, and I don't, I don't that that that's totally an analytical game. Yeah, that just showed it all, and that shows the mistake of I mean, what I perceive as a mistake in the game. It may have ended up the same way. Don't get me wrong. Well, you know, you know, look at uh, Barrios and Nola. Pretty similar pitchers and stuff. Pretty similar numbers. Uh, Rob Thompson, you know, he wasn't going to start Nola for three innings. He's got two horses at the top. And since I cover the Phillies, I'll, I'll answer your question a little bit. He, he knows he's got two horses. He's going to ride those horses as deep as he can. His highest leverage guy right now, who he's not afraid to bring in at any time if he thinks this is the time that shuts the momentum down for us to win the game, is Alvarado, which is not a bad arm to bring in at 100, 100 and a 92, 93 mile per hour slider. So, um, you know, you, you watch them and he, you know, that's how he's managing these games. But he, he would, you know, I, I don't see him ever taking a, a, a Nola or a Wheeler and going, you're only going to throw three innings. You know, and Kevin Gosman only threw four innings the first game. I mean, those are two really good starters that are better than most of their relievers. So why, you know, why do you take them out? Why do you only get seven innings out of them and the Phillies got what fourteen innings out of Nola and Wheeler. And well, they're, they're probably going to say because our we feel our bullpen's better than our starters in the situation, which is is you didn't get there without Gosman. You didn't get yeah. there without these guys, right? Um, right. Um, and you know, there's also like if they predetermined it, if we're behind, okay, is one nothing or two nothing a big deal? If it is, if your team's not going to score anyway, you're going to lose anyway. So you put more guys in and you give yourself more chances to have things go wrong when you know you've got a pretty consistent guy out there. Yeah. That's and, what that's and, what gets me. And, I know, think that's what happens. And, you know, Toronto didn't hit. You know, Guerrero had an off year. Bichette had a good year. Springer had a little bit of an off year. Brandon Belts. Long in the tooth. Chapman was hot and cold all year. So, yeah, they didn't hit. Uh, the, 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 the little catcher, Kirk, uh, did not have his good year this year offensively. They did not have a great year offensively as a team. And they, you know, to me, they never hit, hit their stride. Uh, they played up and down all year long, it seemed like. And, uh, you know. Well, maybe it's an urgency feel like I got to do something because we're not hitting 
Yeah. And they, they overblow uh, keeping the other team down. Right. And they overblow it because they do everything analytically, you know, rather than, you know, the eyeball test. Yeah. You know, um, that kid was throwing really good. And I, I mean, I don't give a shit predetermined. You say predetermined if we're, if we're tied or down by one or two, uh, I'm leaving him in. That's okay. Yeah. But if you just say hey, you can do a certain pitch count or I don't want him to go through the lineup a third time or all that shit, that goes right back to what we talked about before. You know, on a given day, somebody can be Sandy Koufax, even though he's right. he's not. Well, but everybody you know, has those days when everything's working, their command's right there. You know, it, it's a three-game series, and you're in game two. You're already down one, and now you've you've – exposed your bullpen for four innings a day before. And if you win this game, you got to get six innings. Now you get to that game three. If you do cut or fortunate enough to win your bullpen spent. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it, it is. Hey, I get it. If the guy starts giving up base hit, why he sits wild and stuff, just get him out early because yeah. you only got one game. But if a guy's dealing, I don't get it. No. Seems like so much is predetermined nowadays. What is that doing to our managers, coaches in terms of their ability to feel the game or use intuition? Yeah. Well, I, we talked on, on the air before and I had this conversation, I think it was seven or eight years ago with Steve Roadcap, who managed 10 years in the minor leagues. And he and I were seeing the scripts that were starting in the minor leagues. So, we were just saying that, you know, uh, we had both coached and managed and, you know, I, I didn't manage, but I was in the minor leagues and you learned, you learned how to be a pitching coach, how to be a manager, how to recognize game management with your pitchers when, you know, when they had enough left in the tank to leave in the game. So, you know, we have a lifetime of watching games where I have a good gut, as and I know Mark does, and you probably do, Dave, where you know when a pitcher's good and going well and when you probably need to make a change. We're going to have a whole generation who's never had to do that because the game has been scripted. The starter's going to go four innings, and the, rel- the next reliever is going to go three innings, and then you're going to use the other two guys for an inning each. And there's no watching the game to determine, gosh, he threw good. Let's send him out another inning. He threw good. It's it's all predetermined. So we're going to have a whole generation of no guts left, uh, no gut feel left managing in the big leagues. We still have guys that do, and two of them are still in the playoffs. Well, Will, that's a really good point. And so what you're saying really – is because players have been told everything to do since they were a little kid, never made decisions. Now we've developed those guys that were stayed players that were that didn't think on their feet. They're becoming the managers. Right. And they have no gut feel either. Right. Because they've always been told everything to do. Then they get turned over to people running analytics in front offices that depend on that. That just perpetuates the whole the whole chain of events. Yeah. They think that's how you run a game. But look hey, at the this, script. 
this is this is another thing. I just I wanted to bring this up, and I wanted to ask you guys what you th- why do you think this has occurred? Um, and it's funny because you know you, we just went over all the in- injuries and the amount of money that's been spent on guys in the DL and stuff. Did you know that in 1970, like the average age of major leaguers was 27? Right. In 2023, it's 29. Right. Why is that? You would think because young guys go up so much faster now. Right. I was thinking it would have been the other way around, right? Yeah. Do you think it's because of the injuries that they've had to take older minor league players and put them in the big leagues? Or yeah. why would that be two years difference? You know, I, 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 I think because the way the rosters are manipulated where there's – it seems like – you know, you, we used to break camp and you hoped that that 25 that you picked was going to carry you to the finish line. And you liked it and it was a good 25. Hopefully we stay healthy. Maybe we use 28 guys. Now I think they break camp and there's there's like a whole like B squad that's always ready to be manipulated up and down off of the big league roster. And a lot of them are older guys, like you said, Mark, that are 30 years old, you know, you know, been around, uh, catch the ball okay, put a pro bat together, and they get called they get called in at a certain time when somebody tweaks a hamstring or whatever, or the veteran uh, reliever depth that they put in the in, in AAA every year. So if somebody throws three innings, uh they, they option them out for seven days, and they call another older guy up that throws strikes. So you have all this movement all the time, and, and to me it's tough to keep continuity with a lot of movement too and develop a really close chemistry. You know, when you have like the same team all year long basically, those guys become really close too. Yeah, the chemistry is is off the charts when that happens. You know, I know that after being with the Rockies, and you know, I'm not making excuses. We never let players make excuses. Um, but the reality is that uh, with the altitude, the amount of pitchers, you know, think about it. If your breaking ball doesn't break quite as sharp, there's a lot more foul balls, so pitch counts run up more. I mean, I see that all through baseball. I, I, I used to think, well, you know, Ross, the Rockies had a, a disadvantage of that. Um, playing in altitude affects your body a lot more um, on your everyday position players. So we took that, you know, we understood that there was some flexibility that it's really hard to stay with the same guys. And I know that it was always preached in spring training. You know, fellas, you know, there's 40 of you here, or 45 of you here in spring training. Um, we're going to need you guys all. We're going to need all of you guys. So these are the things that need to be done. These are the things that you have to show us in the minor leagues if you don't make the club. But it was there was some truth to that with the Rockies, but there shouldn't be as much truth to that with other clubs. You know, they, they, nervous time, Mark. I think that's the part of the answer. I think well, they, some of the stuff too is, um, 
you know, that service time thing, I know they, the players associations fought in negotiations. That's why not as many guys can go up and down anymore. Um, you know, they recognize what was happening. I mean, that's really important to, you know, service time to players, you know, to get to that arbitration oh, level certainly. and stuff. So, you know, I think they've addressed it. I mean, there's nothing we can address, but I will tell you this, this is, this, this could I didn't cover mean they're hockey specific. I meant that across the, the age difference that you asked. Oh yeah, I know. I, I've always seen that uh, with a lot of teams. Um, and sometimes, you know, financially, it really makes a difference. Uh, you know, if you're going to win the pennant, it doesn't matter at all. If you got a, if you got a, 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 a star player in the minor leagues and you're going for a pennant, it doesn't matter. Service time, none of that stuff figures in. Now, if you're a dead last team, maybe you can if you don't want to start the guy's clock, you know. But um, I'll tell you this one story about which I think it was really cool. When I was coaching for the Indians, um, you know, every team goes into New York like during the year. Um, now every team does because you play everybody uh, for sure. And uh, uh, there was one year when Mary was before they had, uh, they, we had a president of each league. We had a National League president, we had an American League president, and Gene Budick was the American League president. And uh, he he uh, he sent word to our manager that um, when you guys come to New York, I'd like to have the whole staff for an early lunch. I know you guys like to get to the ballpark at night, but have an early lunch. I'll have it all there for you in my conference room because I want to talk to you guys. So I said, wow, that's pretty cool. I wonder what he's going to talk to us about. So we got in there and he asked all of us, what are some of the things that you see in baseball um, uh, that disturb you or things you like? And how about um, uh, clubhouses and uh, visiting clubhouses? Who, you know, are there anybody that really needs to tighten it down? That's really a bad clubhouse for visiting clubhouses. How about fields? Anything on the fields um, that you're not seeing? He asked us a lot of questions. I thought that was the coolest thing. Because it gave the coaches, the people on the field, a chance to meet with the head of baseball in their league. And he asked questions. So he was taking notes. He had every team come in there during the year on their visit to New York and did the same thing with them. All the American League teams. So it gave him a really good idea, things to address, things to look into more. I would love to see the commissioner of baseball do that with 30 teams, whether he has a luncheon at their place or in New York. It's only 30 teams. It's only a month out of the year that you'd have one meeting for each team. And it would be, it would be great because they could ask him questions. Now you, you know, you're going to get some feisty freaking coaches and managers too. Um, but that's the whole deal with me and the commissioner of baseball. You, you set the parameters, you ask the questions, um, you let them elaborate on things. Um, you even answer questions that maybe they don't know the information to yet. Um, you know, communication is never a bad thing. No, it's, it's the best thing. You know, that's how you make things better is, uh, you know, I, I never knew that 
that, that Gene Budig did that. And that's a wonderful thing because all those guys have spent their life in the game. And they know the game and what's happening on the field. They know what's a good field, a bad field, a good clubhouse, a bad clubhouse, a good situation, a bad situation, uh, good umpires, bad umpires. You know, why not have that feedback to make the game better? You know, it's just like, uh, you know, if you just sit in your New York ivory tower and make every decision and you don't have anybody who's in the ring, so to say, every day weighing in on how those decisions should be made, then you're going to make a lot of bad decisions. Well, you know, I I will tell you the one that I gave him. I don't know if he used it um, because I'm not privy with the, with the scorekeepers, but, you know, I made that comment. I said, Gene, you know, statistics and records are like really important in baseball. And I said, you know, I've been in the game for a long time. And, and the one thing that used to piss me off as a player is that uh, if, if there's a fly ball to, between left and right field and the right fielder was camped under it and the left fielder ran into him and one scorekeeper puts it down as a double, the other one puts it down as an air. I go, there needs to be a set criteria. And I said, the way you could do that is bring all the official scorers in, have all these scenarios on video saying, if this happens, this is how you would call that. All the controversial stuff. And I said, then you could evaluate those guys. There's always hard-headed guys in every sport. Hard-headed scorekeepers says, well, I've always called that an error. That's an error for me. Well, guess what? The guy loses his job and you get another guy if he isn't following what the protocol is and the criteria is for that. And I said, that way, you got players, they know exactly what the, the ruling is going to be on every play, the official ruling. So, you know, I threw that out there because I felt like that's something that was so different at some ballparks than other ballparks. You know, I only went to a scorekeeper, just a quick story, one time it was the Final game of the season, I was coaching an A-ball with Hagerstown, and we were playing Kinston, and Mike Hargrove was the manager. And we had a kid named Steve Bowden, who was a right-handed relief pitcher. Had an up-and-down year, but uh, he gave up a, a ball with two outs that the guy gave their hitter a hit on. It was clearly an error. And it put his ERA from 498 to 501. And at the end of the year, from a farm director and a thing, you start looking at numbers. An ERA in the four was not as, was not good, but certainly not as ugly as an ERA in the fives. So I went over and asked Mike, and Mike went up with me, and he agreed it should have been an error. But the official score was so stubborn you know, this is a ball, but still, I was fighting for my kid who who I didn't think, you know, I thought he was a mild prospect, but I knew that, you know, if he had a five ERA, he might get released. So, you know, you had, you know, official scores should, should take their, their thing more seriously. I see, you know, now at the minor league level, some of the official scores are absolutely horrible. 
Yeah, they, I don't know whether they can't get people to do it or or there's no training. You know, there's no training. You have to have training. Yeah. I'm sorry, in anything, you got to have yeah, training. I mean, you, you can't just stick anybody up there, a baseball fan, you know. I mean, you see it all the time. That's why they always say you you got homered. Yeah, um, I mean, everything. You know, the guy's got a no-hit, no-hitter going, and the shortstop has an unbelievably tough play to make, and they give him an error because they want to keep the no-hitter going. You know, you have to have a true understanding of the game that if the guy takes one step to his right, and bobbles the ball, it's not the same as taking six steps to his right and he knocks the ball down and the guy beats it out. Yeah, exactly. One is clearly a hit and the other one is clearly an error. Yeah. Um, but, they, you know, a lot of them don't understand that. Well, he had to move. He had to move a foot. <laughs> you know, okay, I'm going to change pace now a little bit. Um you know, over the years, and I've actually had a few of these guys or, or they're friends of mine, and I kind of felt like they were slighted. Um, I, you know, there's a lot more of these. These are just the ones I kind of highlighted. Um, you know, we always talk about, uh, you know, when you're winning a, a Cy Young or, or an MVP award in Major League Baseball, um, What's the emphasis? Uh, is it is it should be on on winning and leading the team or leading the team in various categories uh, or the league? Um, is it a reflection of the team, the individual, or the individual accomplishment? And often the popularity. And I will I will give you a few here where you'll probably see that it was the popularity contest, not what the guy actually did. So. Um, you know, there's a lot of arguments about it. Um, um, you just kind of make your own judgment on what you th- should have. But I think, to me, this is just me. Um, you have to have set rules. And again, it's kind of like the official scores. Some guys, writers just have their own opinions. Just like somebody not voting for, you know, not voting for a Hall of Famer that's like should be a 100%. Uh, there's always somebody that wants to be a contrarian, right? Um, but for me, I think there's less arguments on major league awards if the MVP is the most important and valuable player to help in the team win and then name a player of the year would be the best individual accomplishments. That way, they both get awards. Uh, it spells it right out for them. So everybody knows the MVP is the guy that was the most important to the team winning, you know, they've done that. They've done that, but then other times they turned right around and went the other way. Um, that's the difference. There's no, no set way of doing it. And if you had a couple awards, it would, it would, it would work. Now here, here's a list of some guys that they missed being MVP or Cy Young award winners who could have won the award. And some of them are not even close and you're going to scratch your head like I did. Like, how the heck did that guy not win the award? Okay. Here, the first one that I got is 1962. Um, There were two guys for me that could have won the award. It was Willie Mays and Tommy Davis could have won the MVP award. That was the year Maury Wills stole, uh, you know, stole 104 bases. Okay. Here are the numbers Willie Mays had that year. 
304 batting average, 141 RBIs, 130 runs scored, 16 uh, 15 slug. He led with a 10.5 war and had 49 home runs. He led with 49 home runs. Maury Wills had hit 299. He scored 130 runs, the same as what Willie Mills Mays scored. He had 208 hits, a six war, not a 10. And the only thing he led in was stolen bases and like games played and at bats. And Willie Mays played center field uh, at the highest level defensively that you could, which is the other forgotten thing sometimes on MVPs, how good, how impactful a defender is too. Well, it's it's also, it's the, it's the LA Dodgers, right? They got a stronger media and everything. The other guy could have won too was Tommy Davis. He had 121 scored. He led with 230 hits. He had, he led with 153 RBIs. He hit 340 and won the batting title that year. Wow! So you could have picked Willie Mays or Tommy Davis. I, I don't even know. They all got enamored with the 104 stolen bases. Hey, I think that's great. But for me, that's not the MVP of the league. I'm sorry. Now, what, what was Davis on the Dodgers too? Uh, I think he was. I'm not sure. Yeah, which is maybe, really a joke. Maybe Maury was nicer with the press out there. Probably. I don't think Tommy talked too much. Right. And and uh, and you know you're you're right. It's it's you know that all works. You're going to see some more down the road here. Here, how about 1980? This one. This one blows my mind, and hey, and I know the guy um, that won it, and uh, you you'll know who he is too. It's 1980, the Cy Young Award winner was Steve Stone. Right. Okay. He was 25 and seven. Okay, he had a 781 win percentage. He had a 3.23 year on run average, just mediocre. Nine complete games back in those days, that was mediocre. Right. 250 innings pitched. He had 101 walks and 149 strikeouts. Not a really good ratio. Okay. Here's the guy I think that should have won it was Mike Norris from the Oakland A's. He was 22 and nine. He won. He had the he uh, he had the 253 run average. He threw 24 complete games. He threw 284.1 innings pitched. He only walked 83 and struck out 180. Wow. Okay. I'm a pitcher and a pitching coach. How did that ever happen? Right. How did, how did he not get that? Well, Baltimore's always been known for pitching. They'd won a lot of Cy Young awards. Steve Stone had just recently joined the, I don't know if that was the first year or second year he joined him. Um, but the only thing he did was he had a good win percentage and he won 25 games for a better better team than Norris played for. But 24 complete games versus nine complete games, that alone puts you ahead of the other guy. He threw more innings, had an earned run average, almost a, a run less. That's a, see, I, that would have driven me nuts if I was a writer and that happened. Uh, and I and I was a Norris fan. Right. Um, I'll go through these next ones pretty quick. 81, Ricky Henderson didn't win it. Uh, he led in runs, hits, stolen bases, war, 
had a 319 batting average. They gave it to a pitcher. They gave it to, to Raleigh Fingers. Wow. Again, it was a short season. But uh, you can't give MVP to a pitcher. I'm sorry. You got the Cy Young Award to give to him. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, you know, uh, Fingers and Willie Hernandez, one of his relievers, which is a little bit more impactful if they save a lot of games or whatever. But, well, the guy who plays only, every, the guy yeah. who plays every day of the week, it's got to be a position player only award. Only if you can't – only if nobody really had any big records that year. You know, like nobody offensive. They were spread among a whole bunch of guys. Like one guy won RBI, another guy batting title, another guy run scored, another guy – you know, batting average, you know, whatever it was, if it's spread out, I can see where it could happen. But here's a, the, uh, this is the one that really spurred me on. I think I've mentioned this on other podcasts. You know, Mike Bodker, who's a friend of mine, um, he didn't win the Cy Young Award. Um, there were, there were only him and one other starter, Burt Blylevin, that were in the top four. Bodker was the fourth in the voting. Boddicker had 16 complete games through 261 innings. He led the league in wins with 20 and ERA with 279. So he won the most games and had the best earned run average and had 16 complete games. Okay. Now, the other starter was Bly Levin. And Bly Levin was a guy, he had very similar numbers. He won 19 games. You know, um, he was he was right up there too. Th- those are the two starting pitchers, but a reliever got it. And actually, Quisenberry was second in the voting behind Her- Hernandez. You were talking about, yeah. That was the year Hernandez had an unbelievable year. They gave him, they I believe he won uh, the MVP and the Cy Young. Yeah, yep. And Quisenberry won the Fireman of the Year. Right. But he won the Cy, I mean, he won the Cy Young Award over these starters that carried a monster load during the year. It just, I don't know, it just bothered me. I always thought that if I was a starting pitcher and I won more games than everybody else and I had the best of a run average, who the hell else could win the game, win it? Yeah, well, that was uh, the one year I think King Felix won it, the American League. And Seattle wasn't good, but he was 13 and 11. And, well, you know, and everybody, well, he played on a bad team. And then I think back to Steve Carlton in 72. They won 56 games. He won 27. He won 27 and 10. Um, There's something about finishing and winning games, too. And I don't know what the competition was that year. I think Sabathia might have had a really good year. And should have won yeah, it, I thought. I, yeah. I, it, was, I it, it was like 2013, and he was 13 and 11. And I get it. He had great stuff. But he didn't win. And, and and you know, uh, there's something for winning the game. Yeah, you know, I mean. What, what about your guys, Matt Holiday, 2007? Oh, I know. That was unbelievable. To the World Series, 340, 36 dingers, 137 ribbies. Yeah, how, how, does, how does that happen? And they give it to Jimmy Rollins, who led the league in nothing. Right. In nothing. He never led in anything. I mean, how can that happen? Yeah. Because that was... 
Because right. that year they probably went, I, I don't know, 97, we went all the way to the World Series, so yeah, they can't yeah. say that. Yeah, 07, yeah. No. 07. Matt Holiday was clearly the winner. I was, you know, being, I live in the Philly area, and, you know, I, we knocked them out. <laughs> and Holiday was a big part of that. He was a big part of the game 163. He was a big part of everything we did that year. And uh, he was clearly the MVP. Well, you know, you got all these guys, you know, then there's Albert Bell, who I was there. We went to the World Series in 95. Hey, that was the popularity contest. He, everybody in baseball knew he should want it. He led the league in runs scored 121, doubles with 52, home runs with 50, 126 RBIs. And and Mo Vaughn, the only thing he tie, he led in was RBIs, and he actually tied tied Bell with the same 126, and they gave it to Mo Vaughn. I mean, there's no excuse for that. I don't care if you don't like the guy personally. You know, we went to the World Series. That's that should speak. They didn't. We beat them in the playoffs. Um, I don't get that. Now already we talked about the holiday one. You got, Never you got, won anything. Got cargo too. What about cargo? Back in ten, he lost to Joey Votto. Yeah, these these are. I don't know why. How about Dante well, Bichette? How about Dante Bichette in '95 too? Same year as Albert. Him and Albert should have an award. I've he had 197 won. hits, 40 home runs, 128 RBIs. He led. These are all. He led the league in all of them. Total bases, slugging percentage. Barry Largan won and he won it and he led in no categories. No, just the same thing is to is Rollins. You know, like these guys didn't lead in anything and they won the MVP and they had these monster years by these guys. You know, I uh, had this conversation probably with you, Mark, but I know with a lot of reporters and people because we've spent so much time with Colorado our position players become undervalued with anything that they do. Cause well, he plays in Colorado. Well, he plays. So anything they do playing 81 games in Colorado, even though the whole season they have fantastic seasons, always becomes undervalued. Um, and then our pitchers and then our pitchers that have a 3.980 RA and battle their ass off and pitch their asses off. And, you know, we're, we're looking at, well, you know, he had a, almost had a four ER. Yeah. Well, the same thing you say about our hitters, give our pitcher some respect for having a really respectful year in a place that's like a tough as hell to go pitch in. So it's like we're, our guys, like we can't win for anything. Our position players become undervalued and our pitchers always become undervalued. Well, and what they don't realize, I mean, they should realize when they're analyzing this stuff, how hard it is to hit the first series or two away from Colorado. Right, right. Because now the ball's moving a lot more. And, and so, and, so it, it, to me, it kind of evens out, you know, like they, they just over, and you know what, in today's world, you notice, you notice other teams are performing fine in Colorado now, now that they have the humidor. Yeah. Well, you know, and the other thing 
and, and you and I feel it when we go in there for meetings, is your body starts getting a little achier being at altitude because you don't get the same amount of oxygen that you get <laughs> at sea level. You know, uh, you know, after a few days in there, like, you know, you, you walk to and from the hotel for the meeting, you go work out one morning and you go, gosh, I'm stiff as hell today. You know, uh, our, our guys got to go answer the bell at a high level, you know, 81 times a year in that, at that altitude. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, <clears throat> Did you miss you know, anybody I, on that list? What's that? Did you miss anybody on that list? I think we got the most important ones up. We got a few, few guys in 93, Randy Johnson could have won another one. What about, and you don't believe in, and will do you differ in this where you believe the pitcher, it's okay to win it, or you're more on the reliever side? Because I remember what was it, 86, Mattingly won it the year before. He had another great season. That was his stretch where he was dominant. But I think Roger Clemens may have taken it home that year as a pitcher. Yeah, I I have problems with the MVP. Yeah, I, I, That's I, me personally. I just don't think a pitcher, unless really rare circumstances, I mean – uh, could get the MVP. I mean, uh, Otani, of course, he does it both ways. That that adds to his chances. But um, there's been some unbelievable guys win it. And when you go back and you look at the numbers, I mean, pitcher, there's been th- four relievers that have won one. Uh, uh, I don't know Jim Constantin. What is it? How do you say that? Uh, he was, uh, yeah, Jim Constantini was the Phillies uh, closer, actually. Yeah, well, he won it in 1950, and Stan Musial led the league with batting average, slugging percentage, and OPS. Yeah. Um, Raleigh Fingers, we mentioned before, in 81, uh, beat out Ricky Henderson. Willie Hernandez, who we mentioned before, Ken Herbick in 1984. Um Dennis Eckersley won it in 1992, and it could have been Kirby Puckett. Beat Kirby out, yeah. 51, what do you have, 50 some odd saves? So, you know, these are guys that played every day that did special, special stuff, and they didn't get the recognition because relievers got it. Who could have got the Cy Young that award? And Fireman of the Year. So, you know, know, we got so many awards now. We got the Hank Aaron Award for the most prolific offensive player. We got the silver, Silver Slugger, the Platinum Slugger. Uh, keep the MVP and the player of the year for position players. And then on the pitching side, you got the roll aids fireman and reliever, and you got the, the Cy Young award. Uh, and, you know, now that relievers have uh, uh, become more prevalent, maybe have a, a, a most valuable, you know, versatility guy or whatever. That guy that, that that goes nine and one and pitches in the middle and bridges a whole bunch of wins for a team. I think Baltimore had a kid this year, Bowman, that yeah. went up nine and zero oh or something. It's like pitcher's utility player. Yeah, because they do have a utility player award, or uh, yeah, they do put that in there now. Well, you know, it's just uh, I mean, there's a there's a lot of them. Um, here's some more. Okay. 86, like we said, Roger Clemens won it. Don Mattingly could have easily won it. Uh, in 19, in 2011, Justin Verlander won it, um, the MVP, and Jose Batista had an unbelievable year. 
He led in home runs, walks, slug percentage. He also hit over 300. Didn't get it. Clayton Kershaw, who I think is terrific. 2004, but Gio, uh, Stanton. Oh, Stanton, yeah, he beat out. Stanton had a monster year and led with 37 home runs. Um, you know, it goes back years. I won't go back to the old, old ones here, the Walter Johnson and stuff like that. Um, but that's that, you know, I just have a, a and I'm a pitching guy, you know, yeah. like. Both you guys if, are on the if, same if page. I won, if I led the league in innings pitched and, and wins and ERA and all that kind of stuff, I'd say, yeah, I'd be, I should get that Cy Young award. I should be pitcher of the year or whatever it is. But I wouldn't even think of myself as the MVP. You know, my teammate that led the league in, in home runs and RBIs, I'd say, well, yeah, he, he, you know, automatically he plays every day. I get four days off, you know. Um, I just don't know where the thinking is. It's people that don't really understand the difference. It's like even relievers that win Cy Young Awards over starters. I got a problem with that unless there's just no really good starters. They didn't win a lot of games that year or whatever. I, I just don't see. I relieved and I started. Relieving is like, for me, was way easier when you're close. I'm talking about closing. You know, you're out there. If you have a bad day, you're going to be out there the next day and you can make up for it. If you have a bad day starting, you got to wait five days before you get your opportunity again. If I rest my bullpen with complete games and pitch a lot of innings uh, and win a ton of games, I'm sorry, that's, that is... To me, that's more important than winning Cy Young because you're doing more work than the closers do. Agree. That's just my opinion. Agreed. Well, there's one back there. I can't find it now, but I was looking for it. Tony Oliva lost one back in the 60s to a teammate who hit 273 that year. And uh, Oliva had a, had a rough oh, yeah. shortstop. Yep. He had a, he had a uh, hit, hit three. I think he won his third batting title that year. But uh, – yeah, that one I couldn't find. But I had a, I had a chance to meet Tony Oliva way, way back when and asked him, just give me your thoughts on hitting. You know what he said? See ball, hit ball. That's it. You see, see it, hit it. You just see That's it. That's what he it. told me. That's what he always <laughs> told me too. So apparently he wasn't he wasn't just brushing me off. That was uh, No, he wasn't. That's that's exactly what he says. See it. And that's yeah. the whole point. A lot of these guys today, because they don't hit for a high average, they don't really see the ball. They've they've patented their swing. Um with the biggest bat speed they can get, and uh, they don't really see the ball or track it that good. Well, we kept you guys for almost an hour today. What, what, uh, how do you want to leave the audience? What do you want to tease them with next week? What, what uh, message you I'm want? I'm hoping that I'll be able to um, get a special guest for next week. Uh-oh. Uh, possibly a, a major league, ex-major league manager, a very successful one. Um, uh, if not, we will have him on within a week or two. Okay. Don't bring any unsuccessful ones on. We don't want them. No, I don't. Bring, I don't. I only bring the best on. <laughs> what about you, Will? What do you got to leave you? I know you're playing hurt today. We kept you for an hour. No, that's it's okay. I'm. Uh, I was real happy to see Charlie Manuel in rehab taking BP the other day. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw it on social. I saw the one you sent. It. And uh, God bless him and. Uh, we want to get him healthy and get him on the show, maybe after the Phillies win another World Series. But uh, 
after their run here. I know he's an inspiration to all their players, and that's a really good clubhouse that looks like they're going to have a nice little run. going to be a fun weekend watching Philly's Braves and uh, Arizona. Don't go to sleep on Arizona. They're young and athletic as hell, and they come to, they come to beat your ass every day. Yeah, they don't care where they're playing. Obviously, they you know, it, it Milwaukee's a little bit of a tough place to play. Yeah, those is. fans are good, and and it's just I don't know. It, they 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 do a good job of getting their team up, and for them to go in there and take two in a row. I mean, how many times has that ever happened in the wild card round of, of I don't know how we haven't had three game wild card for very long, but not very. I don't long. think ever there's ever been. A two game elimination on every every everybody round. swept yeah and Texas did it on the road too I, that's I was impressed with Texas they here they were they were poised to win their division and get a buyout and they went from that to having to play a wild card game on the road and I was impressed with and how come all they the way across the country to yeah, do it they yeah. didn't let that affect them and went in the room and Philly I'll tell you what I just can't stop watching them they just I mean God they were they were they just just keep banging out hits. In fact, at one point in time, I think Bryce Harper was the only guy in the lineup without a hit. You know, and, uh, uh, I had friends that posted pictures on social media that were at the game and those uh, eye, eye watches or whatever, they were getting uh, sound warnings on like big yellow screen. You are, you are in a very, uh, uh, you know, very uh, fragile area for uh, protect your ears. Oh, because of the noise at the game. Yeah, because of how loud the stadium was. So uh, that place is pretty unbelievable when they get going. Uh, yeah, they're bad. They're tough. You know, I saw MLB put out, we were talking a list today. MLB put out a list the other day of the top 50 players in the postseason. And uh, Trey Turner was not on it. Yeah, he's... Uh, He's a pretty damn good player. Yeah, uh, they left him off, though, the top 50. You know, it, it, it's weird covering them this year. He hit, he had that unbelievable World Baseball Classic and uh, got off to a little bit of a slow start. You know, I think those home runs early got him spinning off of some balls, but uh, uh, he really labored through most of the season, and he had that moment where the fans gave him standing ovations. Somebody on a local radio station said, hey, this guy's a good player. Let's welcome him back from this road trip. And so he came up to the plate and they gave him a standing ovation after they had been booing him for a couple weeks. From that point on, I think he hit like 360 through the end of the (laughs) season. He hasn't been caught stealing, and he just gets big hits and makes every play. Uh, Rail Muto's showing up. Uh, They're going to be fun to watch. Yeah, those are two of my favorites to watch. Turn you, know, you, you know, it was nice to see some starting pitchers get deeper in the games, and Texas did the same thing with yeah. Baldy. Yep. And you know, those are those are people that kind of get it. You know, you're not you're not going by analytics when you're doing that stuff. You're no. going by gut. No. Yeah. Well, we uh, we'll look forward to the weekend games here, and we'll enjoy Arizona out there. Hope we hope we get to get past the the okay. cold. That you caught down there, the warm weather. Hopefully, it'll clear it up. The and Mark, last, look on that yeah. guest. Let's let's reel that one in. I got an idea who you're talking about. I think I know. But, I got uh, the last the last comment I wanted to make was yeah. I've been watching these playoff games, and it's amazing to me 
that the pitchers that are pitching well, how much better they follow the catchers, how how less predictable they are on their pitches. Um, they have more feel and they're better pitchers. And that's part of the reason why some of these teams are in the playoffs because they got a, they got some starters that can actually pitch. Yeah. You know, definitely helps. You know, Galen and Nola, I think both topped out at 94 and both pitched really, really good games in their clinchers for their teams. So uh, it's not how hard. It's that little left-hander. That I like that little left-hander for uh, uh, Florida. Yeah, uh, yeah. The way he started the game off, boy, he was yeah. moving the ball. And there was were some. Sparta? You know, it's funny. You watch some no, games. The other you one. Know, uh, you noticed Braxton. Braxton. You ever notice some of the uh, some of the games? You watch the umpires, and they're giving everything off the perimeter. Yeah. And. They- all of a sudden, you hear another guy, and the guy's given none off the perimeter, right? Or even some blacked out that they don't give. You know, it's like weird. I do feel sorry for the umpire. Not to keep going here. I know everybody wants to get off, but the other night I felt really sorry for the umpires when I was watching because those jackasses that do the game on the thing—if the guy misses by an inch. Oh, my gosh, you know, that pitch was off the plate. Well, you know, the difference was, if you noticed, uh, the one guy let it affect him, uh, the center fielder for the Marlins the other night when I was watching that game. And uh, Chisholm, you know, he he let it get into his head. He ended up chasing bad pitches and striking out. And then other guys, you know, same thing. Guy missed a uh, borderline pitch. They weren't going to let that be the end of their bat, and it's a shame that they have that on all the time right now. I I don't think that's good for the game. I really don't. Yeah, me neither. They got it. Everyone. Yeah, there's it. a lot of stuff that I wish they didn't have. I mean, they have to fill in time so they tell how hard every ball has been hit. Yeah, you know, and okay. and, and how accurate is ESPN's? Laser's own box that they just arbitrarily throw up on a screen. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, anyway. well, we'll uh, we'll buckle up for next week. Enjoy the weekend's playoff games. Uh, enjoy the Arizona Fall League out there. I'm praying for pitchers going deep into the game and not a lot of walks for you um, um, out there. Um, and Mark, wish you luck on getting that guest again. I think I know who it is, but I'm not going to spoil it for the audience. Right. Blah, blah. All right, a great show. And we want to tell our audience, welcome our new show on. We had On the Record with Jerry Truppiano debut yesterday. Had the great Jim Nance on, uh, Monday Night Football. Um, you know, everybody knows who Jim Nance is. Great interview. You sat online as well. It's episode 306 on our network. So check that out, On the Record with Jerry Truppiano, our newest podcast host. And uh, for the audience members here on A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Willie, enjoyed another great show today. Make sure that you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, review. Hit us up on iHeart, too. Make sure iHeart knows that we are a force to be reckoned with, and they made a great choice bringing us on their network. And we will be back next week, uh, all 50,000-plus subscribers and climbing, 74 countries. We'll bring it to you next week. Enjoy the weekend, and hope you enjoyed a great week of shows. Guys, have a great weekend. Take care, guys.